Welcome to Tech by Design. Design is passion, design is energy, design is enthusiasm. On these episodes, we'll talk to people who exude all those things about the products they build. Come join us. Welcome everyone to another episode of Tech by Design brought to you by the Richmond Technology Council and presented to you by Shaco Mobile by Design. My name is Nick Surface. I'm the CEO of RVA Tech and my co-host is Alex Otanez, CEO of Shaco, who is noticeably absent today, but we will welcome him back on the next show. Our guest today is Patrick Moran of Applause uh, and we are talking about designing for streaming. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's great to be on the show. So, Patrick, you are relatively – are you new to Richmond or have you been here before? What, remind me of your, your background and how you, you came to town. I moved here in the end of June of 2021 after searching for a year for where I wanted to put down roots. I came from Southern California, uh, but I have lived all over Chicago, Montreal, Edmonton, Alberta, Austin, Texas, uh, but it was time to put down roots and picked Richmond. Um, so we want to get into your uh, your background and your history a little bit, but um, also want to just start off talking about the the product that we're here to talk about, which is Applause, um, and and the streaming tech behind it. So Applause is a two way face to face streaming for music artists and fans, as it as it kind of presents itself now. In your mind, can you explain the product? What's the pitch about it? What's the overall higher level uh, concept? Of course. Applause is a two-way, we call it now a, a live stream, a live experience platform. Streaming has a bit of a stigma now post-lockdown attached to it. And we, we go beyond that. And it's a platform in which a creator can have a two-way conversation face-to-face with fans with gamification. I have 22 years of a gaming background. So bringing in game mechanics that are bi-directional that help prompt conversation, engage people more deeply. We have two main offerings. One is our core offering that you can create events on and host on our platform at applause.us. And then the other is an applause light. So within the Zoom apps marketplace, you can find applause and use it just to make your meetings more engaging, more fun and involve the viewers more because we've all been to boring meetings the last two years and we could all benefit from a more, a more engaging meeting. So it, that's interesting. I want to get into that, both the core and the the, the light product via Zoom, because I, I thought that there might be a, a tie in there. But what was the original problem uh, that inspired Applause? How did it come to be, you know, what kind of uh, motivated the creation of, of the product? Yeah, so it was actually incubated uh, through Workplay Labs, which is Mark Pincus, uh, the founder of Zynga, who sold it last year. He it's uh, It was a incubation vehicle for him. And he he was interested in this space uh, along with his staff around what is the future of streaming beyond just text chat and a one-way video as you have like on Twitch or YouTube live. Uh, what is community beyond just a, a scrolling, you know, basically Slack or, or discord and the tools with COVID were accelerating so quickly and the investments were ramping up so fast. It seemed like a great time to explore that space more. So uh, we were trying to solve originally for, more deeply engaging community. And we picked musicians because all the musicians at that time were out of work. So it made sense to focus on a market that really needed a solution to reach their audience, engage their community and derive some income. So Patrick, can you give me some context around timing? When did kind of the first prototype or, or the first iteration of applause come out? And, you know, was there any tie in with with COVID and quarantine and kind of the all of a sudden the the 
immediate need to have a more intimate uh, engagement with fans. There definitely was a COVID tie. And that was at that time, VCs got real busy. Venture capitalists got real busy. Entrepreneurs got real busy solving for all the needs that we knew we were going to need for at least a, a year or two with the thinking that let's focus on things that are going to persist beyond COVID. And the thinking that, it, you know, with every bit big disruption come changes in consumption patterns and the way that we look at the world and the, and the services that we need. I hope curbside pickup never goes away. I love it. And so the, there's definitely a COVID focus and that need prompted the interest in funding this, this, uh, this company. And I think at the time we were primarily designing for deri- deriving in, if we could derive an income from musicians, we have solved a, an initial case and, and had some early market proof. So is that when you talk about your core audience or who you're designing for and maybe even marketing to, is it the artists first and foremost, and then how to, to better connect them with fans so that they're your core, your core mm-hmm. audience that you're designing for? For sure. So several years ago, I worked at Amazon Game Studios, and we worked a lot with Twitch, Twitch being the, the live streaming platform that uh, was eventually sold to Amazon. And I worked on integrating it. And helping integrate it into Amazon in some specific ways. When we were designing video games for Twitch, we were thinking about how do we involve the community and the viewers more into the experience of a live broadcast so that it's more of a two-way interaction. Uh, And it's actually quite difficult because often if you force those mechanics, they feel inorganic to the audience and the creator and the creator doesn't want to use those mechanics. So you have to create mechanics that are wide open enough that they can have their own style and their personality infused. And, and you need to create games with, with lags in it where the streamer, the creator can take time to interact with the audience. We were focused heavily on the, on the, initially we were focused very heavily on the fans at that time or the players or the audience. And Twitch had figured out long before we started working with them that really it's about a lot, it's about creators first, because if you can create um, an economy for them, a way of making a living, a way of growing their audience, a way of, extending their brand and their personality in a way that's meaningful and you solve for them, they'll build their audience and they'll bring their audience from other platforms. So we're approaching applause similarly where we are focused on the, on the, the musician, the creator, the artist first and, and solving for their problems and helping empower them to do what they already know how to do or, or um, maybe are already doing on other platforms that don't monetize as well. So you mentioned designing uh, around an artist to give them flexibility and to kind of give them some independence or at least maybe create channels and a product and tech that is in their lane or more comfortable for them. Um, what were some of the initial features you all felt that were critical to the design of Applause? What were the specific things that make a platform easier for an artist? Um, well, I think that especially with musicians um, who may be playing a two to three minute song, you have to create user or viewer created moments. So giving them a way to emoji, like, react to things. And when enough of that engagement occurs, we have full screen reactions. Like we call it the thunderclap right now. So the big full screen reaction occurs. It's something that the community together can accomplish while watching a stream that the, the artist themselves doesn't have to prompt. At the same time, you don't want the branding or our interaction layer to be so heavy handed that it doesn't allow a musician who, who for everything, their brand is everything, uh, to get overwhelmed. There's this interplay of adding more elements and, and gamification on top of the experience to keep the, the audience engaged, allowing the, the, the artist at the end of their song or their two or three minute part 
to react to what occurred during that song, to call out individuals, to give them the information on who did what, um, so they can call out specific accomplishments of specific people on the stream. So the initial like thing that we tried to solve for is just to create these moments that the audience could create while the musician was performing. So that's that's where we started. And this so lately and part of me is retelling the story of applause as a company because I actually just joined in June. So I have had to catch up tremendously on this startup and figure out, okay, what is the history and what decisions were made? What decisions are we going to make differently? And being from a gaming background, one of the things that I've looked at is this triangle of the artist and the fan, but then identifying the, the fans as a whole as a group, as a third party. So treating what they do collectively separately from what they do as an individual. And this is very game design centric where in a multiplayer game, you think about the party, that the party of characters and the individual characters, and then the, the environments that they're fighting. And then the dynamics between all three of those. And the area that I, I think that we want to move forward on is this interaction between the fan and the community. Because right now it's a lot of back and forth between the, the fan and the artist. But one of the ways that you alleviate the pressure on the artist to hold attention and engage is you give more tools for the fans to interact with each other. So, um, yeah, so I think there's been a shift in the thinking or design about just the fan to artist and then treating this third party, which, um, you know, it, it is an exponential increase on the dynamics of a product. Patrick, I want to come back to that. I want to get some of maybe some of your takes on what you're bringing to the table from the gaming industry and what you've seen and what you were design. you know, some some things that you were thinking about when you were designing in that world. But before I do, you had mentioned at the beginning, the two products that you all have, you'll have the core um, applause product, and then mm -hmm. kind of a light version that is maybe an, uh, an add on to zoom or, or a plug in whatever it might be. Can you walk me through those two products um, as a whole and, and, and what your your vision is for them? Yeah, so the Zoom app marketplace is very new. You know, it's it's in the very early days. Um, and with the, the abundance of apps on your phone, it doesn't, you know, it's getting not getting, getting quite the uptick in pickup that the App Store did on or the Google Play Store. Um, but it is definitely getting some attention and some traction. We got, I think we've had over 37,000 installs coming through that store and created 20, 30,000 some events. So there's a pretty substantial amount of just free events happening. And they tend to be academic uh, schools, churches, uh, poetry festivals. Uh, we even got our biggest artist who's a jazz saxophonist named Pilo. He's based in, uh, I think he's down in Atlanta. He came through the Zoom app marketplace. Um, in addition, it's a big initiative for Zoom. Zoom understands that people are, and I can't, I'm not from Zoom. So this is just a perspective. Sure. This is not official. Yep. Um, Loud and, and clear. Just to be clear. But from my perspective, Zoom understands that, you know, with people returning to offices somewhat, going back to schools, we're in a post-lockdown state, um, they know that they need to do more on the consumer side to keep their to keep their customers because they saw this massive explosive growth when everyone needed video conferencing solutions. And part of that is a third party marketplace where other people are building solutions that they don't they can't keep up with the demand of. Uh, and because that's a priority for them. You know, especially in a startup, you know, you're, you are solving product, but you're also thinking about what strategic partners uh, make sense for us that are going to help uh, propel us. And they're, they're building features on, on top. And our, our core offerings is still built on top of Zoom. Uh, we can talk about the differentiation there. But, the diff but what they're doing is 
our back end is all proprietary. It's global. It can scale globally very quickly. Uh, we own the event management platform, all the back end infrastructure, and we we can actually swap out architecturally any video solution. But we're sticking with Zoom because they're taking our feedback, they're implementing stuff in their roadmap, and they can do in the next three months what would take us eighteen months to do. So it's giving us a high efficiency on the capital that we've raised. Um, so when you're designing around that, you're always thinking about let's touch in, let's touch base with Zoom and see what they have on their roadmap. You're always trying to get a, a picture of what's coming up on their roadmap and figure out what are we solving for, what are our priorities, and and as much as we can, lean on Zoom or their roadmap. Um, and if they're going to go build something, can we help inform the needs? And then often what will happen is like webinar support, for instance, third parties getting webinar support. Uh, we were able to launch with that, and we got featuring from them in their blog. So. A lot of times, if you can align and help promote new initiatives, that informs our, our roadmap as well. Now, both are built on top of Zoom. The, the difference is that whether or not you're using our event management platform, which allows you to schedule events, have people follow you as an artist, it sends automated reminders and notifications when people sign up. So it handles all the RSVPs and follows and marketing for you of your event if you go through our platform. Whereas if you just use the Applause Lite app, on the Zoom app marketplace, now you now you have to promote your own event and get people into it. And it doesn't monetize. Whereas you can monetize an event that's made through our platform. Gotcha. And right now it's exclusively as an overlay to Zoom. Is that how you have yes. it structured? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's going to be long-term where it, it's always going to be tied to one major streaming platform? Or do you envision eventually coming to a place where you're trying to apply it to multiple platforms um, yeah, so I, I want to, we do want to apply to, we want to be anywhere where the audience is. And so long term, it makes sense for us to be on any platform, uh, TikTok Live, YouTube, whoever wants to be a partner, we're open to, we'd love to be a partner. And if someone wants us to be exclusive, well, that that's, you know, the point of a startup is to make that valuable and, and exit, right? And right now we're not looking to exit with Zoom. Uh, we're just looking, it's a very fortuitous partnership. We're helping advance their third-party marketplace and drive installs and usage uh, at a very high rate. And and they're delivering features for us that we need to move forward with. And, and it's not just, you know, video. We're bigger than that. We're like an event marketplace with two-way interactions. So we could actually, with my gaming background, we are open also to existing in the metaverse, whatever that might mean for you. Um, no, so we're I'm also really, building with that in mind. I'm really intrigued by that, actually. Um, if... As you kind of look out a year or two, I mean, are you seeing this um, as a platform for corporate conferences? Are you seeing it as a platform for other forms of entertainment? Um, is it just a meeting tool between teams? Yeah. Um, how well, much? We're using it. What are you thinking? Yeah, that's a great. That's a great question. So we are we are using music as a beachhead, but we've had comedians use it, uh, and any form of performance, theater, poetry. It would make a lot of sense to use now. And we definitely see in corporate settings where like maybe video conference is not that engaging or exciting to watch. It is a way to keep your audience engaged. So if you're running HR meetings, if you're running all hands, those are all great candidates on the corporate side. The challenge from an investor perspective is I don't know how to charge yet for corporate customers. Maybe we solve that later, but we get way more usage on the on the light side, the applause light side on the corporates, not performative side. And so we are interested in like, how do we, could that be an opportunity for us? 
But it's hard if people are already paying for, let's say, a Zoom Pro account at a corporate level, which can be a pretty big ticket item across a whole organization. How do we take that and and charge additional for it for this way to increase the engagement of the platform? So for now, we're happy to be free. <laughs> uh, well, that, I'm happy to hear you say that because my next question was, you know, I mentioned corporate, but what about the education side as well? It, it, has yeah, that ever education, been a uh, we definitely see that being beneficial and having more engagement. So for us, we, b- music is the beachhead. We've been having a lot. We are in a fundraise mode right now. And so gotcha. we are having lots of conversations with VCs. So it, it is definitely like it's definitely a lot. A lot of the questions we have are about, you know, is music your long term goal and would you pivot? And and with anything, we're looking at signals to indicate that we should pivot. We don't want to just speculate and, and pivot and take a we're not one to just we need to have a good hypothesis and some reason to believe that it'd be material yeah, before you abandon your initial yeah trajectory. You got it. Yep. Um, can we talk about maybe I know you've only been there since June. So we're looking at, you know, what, two months here or so. Um, but I know you, you probably dived in deep pretty quick. Have you heard about, or have you seen any features? Maybe you came in, you know, it was one of the first things you noticed that maybe weren't hitting the target and that you needed to kind of trim or streamline. Cause on this podcast, a lot of times we talk about, um, designing through negative editing, that it's not always mm-hmm. adding, adding, adding. Sometimes you're like, you know what, this, we need to streamline this a little bit or take some of the, um, you know, take some of the growth out of it. Cause, um, it's not hitting the target the way we want. Yeah, so we did this. Uh, my previous job was uh, chief product officer at Congregate, and we did this there uh, exercise. I'm a big fan of focusing and and understanding what is your top one or two priorities, and you just do that and only that for a quarter, because you'll do plenty of other things in addition, just bug fixing and quality of life things. But really, a, a team and organization is not capable of, I think, focusing on more than one or two things at once. Um, so when I came in, there was probably a backlog of three, 400 things. Uh, most of them, it was, it was big. It was a very, a very, it's a lot. <laughs> it sounds like and a lot. So I went through and everything that was older than six months, I got rid of. If, if we haven't done it yet, it's not that important. So it was a kind of a time bound editing. Yeah. So the, the first, the first, and this is a useful tool, just, you know, if it's that important, it'll come back. It won't go away. Even if you delete it, it'll come back. It'll become a priority again. But now you're forcing it to prioritize itself again. So I just use a time bound to get rid of most everything. <laughs> the second thing is we looked, I looked closely at the metrics and tried to understand like right now we monetize on a per viewer basis 10 times that of Twitch and about, and, and, and one, and, and we do about $5 per average per viewer per stream. So if you have 40 viewers, that's about $200 in one event. And we have people making up to $700 in one event, like a two-hour event. Uh, we've driven thousands and thousands of dollars in donations for big charity events. So there's something about this two-way face-to-face interaction and having a real human connection that has people donate more and tip more and support whatever they're watching at a much deeper level than I've ever seen on any metrics. And, I, and I've worked with Twitch. I knew what their metrics were. And, and I say this to say that monetization was good. <laughs> We didn't need to monetize. We don't have subscriptions yet, like Twitch. We don't have ads. We don't have all. Uh, we only have donations. Okay, and so that's the main monetization. That is, yeah, yep. So our our unit math on the monetization is great. I looked at our funnel. I looked at retention. I looked at engagement, like how engaged people are. And people are really engaged. Our retention is eh, it's okay. 
uh, on this is on specifically on creators and we separated creators and fans looking at metrics and then our funnel is was pretty atrocious like if like if you go to our website today it's not clear what the value proposition is um you have more questions than answers and it says sign up with zoom and that's kind of confusing because i've never signed up for a service with zoom before if i click it a window pops up it feels is this malware Instead, we need you to sign up and link your Zoom account. So we're making changes to the funnel. We're changing the value proposition on the front end. We're, we're very closely monitoring our initial funnel because we get a lot of traffic. We just need to convert. If we can, we can easily convert two to three times as much traffic and multiply our metrics pretty quickly. So you're just looking for, and Amazon is always about the coefficients. Like what are the dials that if I turn, I get the most output out of? What are the most powerful coefficients on my product? And so I think a lot about that when I think about prioritizing backlogs. That's really interesting, Patrick. I'm just going to make a note, the, the coefficients on the product or turning the dials. So, Patrick, you've mentioned multiple times now the correlation to gaming and you have a background in gaming. So what are some of the things that you kind of initially brought to the table or were kind of in your lens when you were looking at this product that you learned from gaming, that you experienced in gaming, that you, you might apply um, you know, going forward with, uh, with applause? Yeah, well, one big framework for understanding design or product in gaming is uh, mechanics, aesthetics, and dynamics. It's called the MAD framework. Okay. So mechanics are like features, like things that you do in the game, right? As a user, I can do this. As a creator, I can do this. As an admin, I, that's that, those are mechanics. Okay. Aesthetics are the presentation, the, yep. the feel of the button press, the UX, the UI. Um, and those are super important. Those should never be neglected uh, you can pretty quickly just by feeling a product without knowing what it does tell if it's quality or not just by its aesthetics and how it feels and we do a fairly good job of that but that's a never ending <laughs> you'll never you'll never yeah. perfect it you'll always be iterating on it and taste will change generations have different aesthetics so you're always evolving this and then the, the dynamics are, are those things working together and so you know identifying like i said each of the major uh let's call it agents people who have agency the creator or the artist has agency. They can take action. The fans have agency and they can take action. And then the fans together as a whole are the audience and they together have mechanics. They can, they can create whole screen filter reactions for the performer, for the artist during a stream. And so then you start to list all the mechanics between them. And then, you know, for every person and for every mechanic, you try to think of all the permutations of all the dynamics this can create and what that feels like and what the implications are and how does it affect the brand of the artist. So under, that's how you think about game design is these, not just mechanics and not just the UX, but what are the dynamics? And dynamics can be like found behaviors, emergent behaviors that you didn't expect. It could be things that you intended. It could be an emotional feeling. And so accounting for more of the human experience of using a product beyond just the core features is a lens that I've taken to the product. And we're in the process now of one of the exercises what we're doing now is I brought in a product manager from gaming who I've worked with in the past, and we're building a, a target screenshot where we've loaded full of all the features that we in 2024 are going to have. And we represent all the UI like 2024. Like we, it's, it's like the crystal ball screenshot. And we might make some different permutations or versions of that to represent different states or moments. But at the end, we're going to have four or five target things that we move forward to that are very visual for the team rather than just a list of features and a backlog. Um, so approaching things visually is also something we do a lot in gaming, like aspirational visual targets um, helps a lot with venture capital pitching as well. 
I was going to say, is that potentially one of the main differentiators? I don't know that you actually have competitors in the marketplace per, for exactly what you're so we, doing. But it, yeah. it depends how you look at it. Uh, our VCs would feel like we have a lot of competitors now. A lot of people made live streaming solutions. But they basically uh, all took the same open source code that's that it's not proprietary, that basically stands up all the adult industry websites on the internet. It's the same video streaming tech. It's the same tech that was used to build Switch. It, um, so there's companies like Moment House and Mandolin, Mark Cuban just backed Fireside Chat. So there's there are these competitors in the space. They're all focused on one-way live streaming. And they the ones that were focused on music were ticketing events. And they were paying artists big men guarantees and going for top-tier artists. And I knew coming in, there was kind of this pressure of like, should we raise money to go sign a bunch of Justin Bieber's and Shakira's and folks that do venture capital and also perform. But having been at Twitch and watching Mixer, which was a competitor spun off by Microsoft, they went and signed a bunch of exclusives with talent and just fell flat on their face. Um, because it, you really need your creators to opt in for the platform and be willing to do the work of building or bringing over their community. And you can't just buy your way in. So it's a um, slow, or not a slow, but a, it's a gradual iterative process that you're trying to play for the long term. It is a, it is a, yeah, it's definitely a longer term investment for a VC. They need to take the lens of, you know, you're, you have to build the right elements to create something that's unique enough to bring creators from another platform that feels differentiated from what they're already doing. And they need to know where it sits in their tool set of making a living as a content creator. And um, it has to be a clear win for them when they come on. And that just takes time to figure out. And so we've taken it as a two-way approach. We've, we, we take a more deeper engagement approach. We'd rather have a tenth the people that are giving 10 times the money, but walking away with this really amazing access level to someone they love and a conversation they were able to have that they couldn't have on any other platform. So, I mean, we have, quote, competitors, but I think we're, we're all attacking it from different angles and we actually can coexist. I don't see us in competition with, with Twitch or YouTube. Gotcha. Mark, you said something earlier on, you kind of hinted at the, a metaverse component to this or, or just thinking about the metaverse and how engagement mm -hmm. might happen in that space. How realistic in day-to-day -day is that element in your conversations? Is that just kind of a, um, a moonshot? Oh, you know, one day this could have applications in that space? Or do you all think about that day-to-day? -day? I'm just trying to get a temperature on where people are with that metaverse um, thought process. Well, the metaverse right now is... Uh you know, if you look at the sandbox, um, they have a user problem. They they are they are propped up by a few thousand users, or maybe tens of thousands of users at most. Um, whereas, like the Nike's metaverse they built, just had millions of people go through it. If you look at where communities are today in Fortnite and Roblox, what is a metaverse? They're they're both smartly trying to figure out what is a metaverse, but they're doing it in iterations with an existing audience. And if I were to place some money bets, I would place it on Epic with Fortnite and with Roblox, figuring it out because they already have an audience intact. They already have a compelling, engaging experience. And both of them have third-party tools that allow everyone else already to build experiences for their, quote, metaverses. You know, gaming people in gaming hate the word metaverse because metaverses for us have existed since the 80s. It's nothing new. And all you're talking about is a high fidelity, high high, you know, high poly version of that. So it's a, it's definitely a buzzword right now. Um, for me, it, it means um, it's just a virtual identity. Sure. With more customization. 
And is it how portable is it? We'll see how many people actually engage in the 3D VR version of it. Probably not that many. But if it's just a, a social space within Fortnite that you can make your own content for, that to me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, as as you're kind of breaking it down like that, it almost parallels um, the evolution of the cloud in some ways, where we applied this this uh, unique brand to it, and people wondered what the heck the cloud was. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's you know just somebody else's servers. So yeah, um, machine machine learning yeah. similar. Like I had some engineers at Amazon who would make fun of product managers who ever said machine learning because they would just do the hand motion where they yeah. they swirl their hands around. <laughs> go, we'll put we'll 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 put an ML model on it, and they'll just wave their hands. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, you've touched on several different kind of design elements, a whole bunch of things that I kind of want to uh, highlight before we we pop off here. But um, I also want to get to the last question, which is kind of, um, is there a book, a piece of media, something that you've consumed lately that that helps motivate you and, and inspire you or, or keeps you educated in design? But before we get to that question, just to recap a little bit here. Um, I heard some good nuggets um, on design from you. We talked at the beginning about viewer created moments, and that's kind of one of the things that Riverside or um, one of the things that Applause has going for it. And that's one of the products built into it is these moments that are created by the viewers and where they come together as a collective. Um, you talked about design not being heavy handed, um, making sure that you're designing for the artist um, in a way that works for them. Uh, we talked about time bound editing. I thought that was really compelling. Um, that if it's important enough, it'll probably end up coming back. If you time bound edit, doesn't mean something goes away forever. It's just you're requiring it to reprioritize itself, uh, which I think we all can relate to. Um, I don't know that we all have three, three to four hundred, you know, different uh, <laughs> features out there that we're working on. But you know, even if it's just thirty or forty, everything should be prioritized. And I think you you had said, you know, get down to three or four main concepts that you want to work on, you know, per quarter, per year, and. and Every, there's going to be other stuff along the way, but really prioritize. Uh, you talked about not just designing for a product, but also for strategic partnerships, which I think is a great way for a lot of smaller companies to scale or to build traction um, without having to do those big influencer buy-ins that you also hinted at. Um, if you're doing partnerships with other uh, companies or products and piling on together and creating a great onion, then you don't have to build it all yourself or, or get the, the big promotion. Uh, you talked about coefficients on product. You talked about turning dials. Um, you know, d- deciding which pieces of the dashboard you want to be able to tweak and how that affects things. And then, the last thing you mentioned, which I loved, was the the Mad framework. I had never heard that. Um, I don't know if that is that a gaming. Uh, it's specifically, phrase? there's a there's a number of gaming design product frameworks that okay. I benefit from from having come from that space that I think are unique to it. Um, specifically because you know, in gaming, you're solving for making it fun or making it emotionally compelling. And that, that's not necessarily something that you're always thinking about in product outside of gaming. Sure. Well, yeah. So mechanics, aesthetics, dynamic, dynamics. You got it. Yep. So that those are all some takeaways for our audience um, just to summarize here. But to wrap it up, Patrick, talk to me about what you're, what you're reading, what you're watching, what, what's sure. kind of on your, um, your dashboard these days that kind of inspires you or, or maybe makes you think, oh, hey, I could apply, you know, something that, to, uh, about that or with that in my, in my professional life. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say first and foremost, be deeply curious and, and any curiosity, even if it seems not related, chase it down. I, I got deeply curious in music writing and production and, and making music videos and, I chased that down last year for no other reason than just to try it and see if I can make something good. And the results were good. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the next, uh, Spotify hit, but I, I did well enough 
that it attracted the attention of the folks who had started applause and they were and the music industry credibility mattered and it meant it created a startup ceo opportunity for me combined with my background in product so i would say that all learning is valuable i do pull the list of the top common 20 or so business books from the previous year and i read those every year just to try to make myself learn things that maybe I wouldn't normally be gravitating towards. And then just because there's not a lot of gaming enrichment, I would say if you are interested in gaming, uh, Deconstructor of Fun is an amazing product management website, podcast. It's probably the, if you go read everything on Deconstructor of Fun, you can become a product manager in gaming just by learning that website. And so that all their content is exceptional. That would be where you start. And then pocketgamer.biz focuses heavily on mobile and free-to-play, but that's also um, another resource. And those two resources and podcasts and uh, articles uh, will get you almost everything you need to work in video gaming from a product perspective. Patrick, that's fascinating. I've never seen Deconstructor of Fun, but I'm on it now. Um, I'm going to check out this podcast. Is it mostly game-based? Is that... It's all gaming-based. Gaming-based, um, Okay. And they started as a free-to-play consultancy. There was one person who ran it, and now they're a full business. They have multiple, and they have people working in hedge funds. They have people mm-hmm. in C-level roles. Uh, pretty much, if you're in free-to-play executive suite in gaming at a C-level or VP level, you probably read this website and pay attention to it. They're, hmm. They definitely have their finger on the pulse. They're crazy smart. Uh, and they do breakdowns of economies and game design um, for from a product management perspective from all the basically all the top free to play games. And now they're doing more and more stuff with Web3 and Metaverse. So I have found moving to Richmond. I, I'm trying to start. Actually, we just founded the first international game development or association chapter, uh, which unfortunately I am the uh, chairman of. And I'm going to try to get myself <laughs> voted out as fast as possible with some enthusiasts vcu students so we're starting that chapter we'll have our first meeting in october um yeah anyways so there's there's a lot going on but I, i'm trying to bring more gaming as well to richmond working hard on it cool well patrick how can people reach out to you is there a good place either social email what's the best place if, if somebody is interested in gaming either it's uh the international gaming association or De- game developers association um or they're interested in applause or they just want to get connected with you um how can we reach out to you you bet. So, uh, applause.us, you can go check us out there. I'm also on LinkedIn, Patrick Moran. I'm the CEO at Applause. You can find me there. And then I do have a Twitter. Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head because I just changed the handle. <laughs> you can search for me on there. Uh, and then also Patrick at applause.us. I am reachable as well. So Awesome. Um, always, If you're from Richmond and you have a question, I'm happy to answer. Patrick, thanks so much for your time. This has been a fascinating uh, deep dive into designing for streaming. Um, I'm not sure that when we kind of put the first season together here, we thought that this was going to be a topic or something we'd ever uh, find a person for. So um, glad that you're in our backyard. So uh, welcome to Richmond and hopefully we can Thank get you. you on more often and, and see you out and about. For all those listening, thanks again for uh, listening to uh, Tech by Design. We are the Richmond Technology Council and uh, this season we are powered by Shaco Mobile by Design. So please check out Shaco. They're over in Scott's Edition. They do a lot of great work and um, they uh a lot of mobile, a lot of metaverse stuff, and they're moving into a lot of the stuff we talked about today with Web3, metaverse, and uh, and in the future. So thanks again to Patrick. Thanks again to everyone listening, and we'll see you next time on Tech by Design.